The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is What the Heck with Mike Heck on MMAFighting.com. Now, here is your host, Mike Heck. What the heck? Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome to a brand new edition of What the Heck here on MMAFighting.com. I am Mike Heck, and an insane stretch on Fight Island has come to an end for the UFC, and we're going to talk all things Fight Island on the show this week, as a matter of fact. Of course, it all ended with Dustin Poirier knocking out Conor McGregor in the main event of UFC 257 on Saturday. And so much has come out of that event since then. Of course, Michael Chandler had an amazing debut. And the question since UFC 257 has been, where does Dustin Poirier go from here? Where does Michael Chandler go from here? Do they fight each other? But Dustin Poirier seems to be sort of the main topic and where his future lies after the biggest win in his career. And that includes the win over Max Holloway when he became the interim lightweight champion of the world. But a lot of people like the idea of Dustin Poirier fighting Michael Chandler. Some don't like that idea, as you may have seen at the post-fight press conference. Dustin Poirier, not a huge fan of that idea. Charles Oliveira is a popular name out there. Most feel he is the most deserving contender. And I I saw a lot of people sort of compare resumes and made a big deal out of this whole conversation about why does Michael Chandler deserve a title shot over Charles Oliveira? Listen, if you have been watching the sport long enough, then you know this. But if you are a newer fan of this sport, this is a very important lesson you're about to learn. And it's been like this for five or six years now. The word deserves... In MMA, doesn't matter. You got to get rid of it. Strike that word from your vocabulary, okay? It's about this, okay? It's about what can draw the most money. To me, 
Chandler is a bigger draw than Charles Oliveira. He's not more deserving of a title shot if we're looking at X's and O's and meritocracy. That is for damn sure. No offense to Michael Chandler, but the, the streak Charles Oliveira is on is insane. Just look at the guys he's beaten in this A-fight stretch. The way he handled Tony Ferguson. The guy deserves a title shot. The problem is, if you go to your local grocery store and you line up 20 random people and you ask those 20 people who Michael Chandler is and then you ask those same 20 people who Charles Oliveira is, more of those people are gonna know who Michael Chandler is. It's just the way that it is. So it does suck for Charles Oliveira on that end and he might be in a position where it's like, how many more fights do I have to win? before I get a title shot. I mean, it took Max Holloway forever to get a title shot. It took Tony Ferguson forever to get a title shot. I mean, my goodness, the guy deserves it, but he's probably not gonna get it. And I'll tell you why, because Chandler's not the only guy on the table. You got the Conor McGregor trilogy matchup idea, which would drop pretty damn well, I would say. From all indications, this one's looking around 1.4 to 1.6 million. That's what I'm hearing. Nothing's official. It's hard. You can't really get those numbers because of the streaming platform. And I know a lot of people had a lot of issues with the streaming platform. We'll talk about that in a second. But so McGregor's there. Poirier has interest in fighting Nate Diaz. Nate obviously loves that idea as well. I've been following social media. Really, I, I wish I had an answer for it. I don't. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? What I do know, and I think, I, and I hope a lot of you will agree with me on this. The first thing the UFC needs to do before they make their next decision, Habib Nurmagomedov has to officially vacate the title. And it sounds to me like he wants to vacate the title. Like enough is enough. This guy is not coming back, okay? I'm not saying he's never coming back, but there was a part of me at the end of last year who thought maybe the UFC would work with his new promotion in some way. Maybe they partner up and they help Habib if he comes back for one more fight. Maybe they can convince him on that end. It's just not happening. It's just not happening. Habib Nurmagomedov is not defending that title again. He's just not. Will it ever happen? Maybe, but he is not fighting in 2021. That is for damn sure. So take the title off of Habib. It's not a disrespect. And the man in October said, I'm done. I promised my mom I would never fight again. Let the guy go. And I know Dana White's argument is, well, who doesn't want to see Habib fight? Of course, the man is in his prime. No one's touching that guy. No one's beating that guy. I'd love to see all the different challenges that come upon him, but no one's beating him. Just let him retire. Just let the man retire. Just drive me crazy. Like enough is enough. You've tried everything. You have tried everything in your power to get this man to come back. He has no interest in coming back. Dana White did this whole segment on ABC and Habib came out like hours later and said, essentially, I didn't say any of that stuff. I don't want to come back. He doesn't need to. He's got nothing more to prove. I made a promise. I'm not breaking it. So take the title off of Habib. He doesn't want to hold up the division. Let's, let's move on. And then once you do that, you take the title. And what I would do is you wrap it immediately around the Louisianian waist of Dustin Poirier. Give the man his belt and call him the champion. He is the champion, in my opinion. Habib is not coming back. Just give Poirier the title. Just give him the belt. Look, the UFC is going to do just fine this year. They're going to do great. They did great last year. They're going to do great this year. They'll do great next year. But man, in my opinion, they left some great matchups, a good amount of money, and an intriguing division that would have been even more intriguing on the table 
by not doing a freaking tournament. Like if you did a tournament here, you could have matched Poirier McGregor up in the first round. I mean, you could have blind draw that. You, you could make these rankings and these seedings however you want. You could have made Poirier McGregor like four and five if you wanted to. Still had him fight. Make it a tournament fight. Still put something on the line. No title on the line. Put something on the line. Make a tournament fight. I digress though because we all know a tournament was 100% the way to go. And now we're stuck again with no clear options on what to do at 155. And we have no freaking champion after all of this. I love the event. I love the stories. I'm so happy for Dustin Poirier. But the fact that he is not the champion right now kind of irks me. And we have no path to the title at this point. None. None. Because Poirier wants big fights. I mean, he wants to be the champion, but this is a prize fighting business. If he fights Connor or Nate, it's gonna do better than a title fight with Chandler Oliveira. It just is. So I don't know what's gonna happen. Just craziness, but uh, I, I kind of ranted there, but listen, incredible night. Amazing win for Dustin Poirier. Amazing debut for Michael Chandler. Great win for Joanne Calderwood. Nice finish from Mahmoud Muradov. Marina Rodriguez did the damn thing against Amanda Hibas. It was a lot of fun for at least those who could actually watch it live. Uh, just so many issues. Like, like I posted on Twitter on Saturday, I had no issues being in Massachusetts, but there were a lot of people. I mean, like, there's like one out of every four tweets was somebody having a problem, whether it's a fighter, member of the media, fan, so many issues. Uh, ESPN is offering partial refunds to those who had issues. We can get all the info on that on MMAfighting.com. No UFC event this week. They are back February 6th. Pretty solid card headlined by Alistair Rovereem versus Alexander Volkov. Corey Sandhagen versus Frankie Edgar in the co-main event. This is a really good card. Really fun fight night. Check it out. You'll see what I mean. Manel Cape's going to make his debut. There's a lot of fun fights going on. No doubt about that. All right. Now, this week's lineup, like we said, it's about Fight Island. I called this episode... It's, you remember like the old UFCs, they had like headlines and titles. It was like UFC 67, unbreakable. This is like what the heck, 43 unsung heroes of Fight Island, all right? This is the unsung heroes of the trip edition. And uh, three guests this week, all of them made moves, were very significant on Fight Island. And it's going to wrap up with Ike Villanueva, one of the best knockouts of the entire week, one of the front runners for knockout of the year in 2021. I know there's only been three events, but... He's right up there already. Got his first UFC win against Venetius Marrera on that Wednesday card. Vicious KO. He did everything perfectly except win a performance bonus. But there's not much else the man could have done. A lot of people want to hear from the hardworking blue-collar worker from the Houston, Texas area. And that is what you'll get to wrap up the show this week. People have also been asking what my thoughts are on Alessio DeCurico's post-fight stance after he knocked out Joaquin Buckley at UFC Fight Island 7. It was the first card on the trip, the debut on ABC. It was a great night, great card, and an incredible performance from Alessio DiCurico. But he refused to do any media afterwards. He refused an interview with John Anik, refused his post-fight scrum. He said people, in essence, only want to talk with the winners. They don't want to speak with the losers. And people were talking about that. They were talking about it. He came in and out of the media room in 40 seconds after the win, and it did better than Max Holloway's scrum after he put on that masterclass against Calvin Cater. Well, you're going to get the full story from the man himself. Alessio Manza de Curico joins us for his first interview since the highlight reel win over Joaquin Buckley. Big underdog in that fight. Very disrespected in the betting lines. He gets it done. He'll be on the show this week. But kicking us off, maybe the man... 
considering the spot he was in on that Wednesday card, he might have been the most underappreciated story of the entire week. Dominant win in a main event over a game opponent. Headliner. Excellent call it on the microphone after the win. One-sided win. Let's welcome back Michael Chiesa. All right, let us say hello to one of the big winners from the UFC's recent trip to Fight Island. A lot has happened since his big win in this crazy sport of ours, but let us welcome back Michael Chiesa, who earned a big win over Neil Magny in the main event of UFC Fight Island 8 this past Wednesday. Michael, good to see you, man. All, all equipped in the studio of yours. Looking, looking swell, my man. How are you? I'm good, man. It's good to be back in Spokane, and um, you know the the wind's finally soaking in a little bit. And yeah, we're in the new we're in the new the new studio right now, so should have some podcasts up and going soon. But yeah, I'm definitely enjoying the win. Excellent. So we're less than a week removed from this big win, but like I prefaced earlier, it was sort of sandwiched in between the debut on ABC, Max Holloway's incredible performance, and UFC 257, which there's so many storylines that came out of that card. You just fought in a main event. You beat a very tough guy. You had a great call out afterward, but maybe it's just me, Mike. I feel like the win is flying under the radar with everything that has happened. Like, how does this sort of post fight aftermath compare to some of your other wins in the past? Uh, you know, I'm not too worried about being sandwiched in between two big fights. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, it, it doesn't bother me at all. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it just feels good to be in the win column. It feels good to log four fights in a row. And, uh, it's just, it was an honor to be a part of the whole week experience. Uh, you can't expect, even if I had like a knockout performance or like maybe I had a fight like Max Holloway's, it's not going to overshadow the main event that we just had at UFC 257. So, I'm a realist. It's all good, you know, but uh, I'm very proud of myself. Uh, this is like the first fight in my whole career that I've, I've came back and and felt like a really strong sense of pride to like to, the you know, just pushing through the five rounds against a game opponent. I'm, I'm proud of myself this time around. So there's a lot to work on, but it was a good experience all in all. So let's kind of talk about the the build to the fight because first off the, the face off the final face off between you guys was great like you and Neil sort of like mean mugged each other in the friendliest way possible and then you guys like broke kayfabe so to speak and started laughing it was all respect and when we spoke before the fight you were just you were just happy to share the octagon with somebody that you respected so much and it seemed like that trend continued throughout fight week is that sort of fair to say yeah definitely I mean Neil's just an all around good guy you know I kind of made a post about him we did a little jersey swap and you know he's an army veteran he's a father he's a fierce competitor and I have a tremendous amount of respect for him so everything was good all fight week like we, we'd run into each other we'd, we'd get a good laugh or something but you know when you get locked in an octagon with Neil Magny he's the, it's not going to be all fun and games he's there to he's there to scrap so you know it was all fun uh, before and after the fight but you know once the octagon door closes like we got after it so he's, he's a solid dude great competitor and I'm sure he's going to bounce back just fine you came out with a hot start, you dominated the first two rounds. You had him on his back for most of it. You had the grappling control. You were just weighing on top of him. You made him work. He made you work as well. But third round, he came out much more aggressive. We saw sort of those glimpses of the Neil Magny everybody expect, expected to see in the fight. But you seemed very like extremely ready for that. What was the beginning of that third round like for you? Uh, I, you know, I just assumed at some point that, you know, he was going to get into an advantageous position just cause he, you know, he's tough, he's durable and he, he comes on stronger as the fight goes. And I've gone back and watched the fight a couple of times. I still don't feel like he won the round. Um, you know, I, I feel like I pitched darn near a shutout in the fight. It felt like I lost the fourth. It didn't feel like I lost the third round. Um, the fourth round was the one I thought that might've got away from me, but 
you know, he, you just got to expect that from a guy like him. He's, he's look at what he's done against guys like Hector Lombard. You know, he, he got darn near lost a 10, seven round, you know, and he came back and won. So you got to assume that he's going to take control at some point and you just can't settle. I knew that if I didn't settle into any bad positions, I knew it wouldn't really be an issue. So, you know, when he took my back, I was able to just kind of maintain posture, get to my feet, use the fence to get up. Um, but yeah, it didn't, it, when I go back and watch the fight, I still don't feel like I lost that round, but you know, it's not a big deal. If you lose one round in a five round fight, I won four. So that's all that matters. Yeah. I, I thought you won the third round as well. All three judges disagreed with both of us, but it is what it is. There's a, I, I was looking at the numbers early this morning. There's a lot of staggering numbers in regards to this fight, but one that really stuck out to me, you held Neil Magny to 12 significant strikes through five rounds, 12 man. And for a, a guy with the pace and the volume he brings, that is an insane number, man. Did you even know that? I did not, you know, I haven't really gone through and sifted through all the, the, you know, the post fight articles or the stats and whatnot, but that is pretty crazy. And the, and the thing is Mike, going into this fight with it being a five round fight and getting the short notice, um, spot for the main event, we didn't really plan on wrestling that soon. You know, we kind of were like, I'm going to feel them out on the feet a little bit. I'm going to use my striking. And as the fight goes on and progresses, I'll push for more takedowns. And, you know, I, if there's one thing I'm good at, I'm good at creating collisions. Like people I, in the broadcast, they're saying, uh, you know, why I don't get why he's clinching up with him. And it's like, I force you to clinch with me that you just, you, you can't get away from it. I have a niche for being able to form these collisions and get into the, the positions that I like, but getting that first takedown early, I think just, I, I kind of went back into that mode of just like pushing for takedowns. And it is crazy that I held him to only 12 significant strikes and I got to sprinkle a little bit of my striking there as well. So, um, it felt good, man. It felt good. That, that main event, just getting that weight off my shoulders and, and just accomplishing one of the small goals I have along the way was huge for me. So I always want to finish a guy, but I think that sense of pride I have comes from being able to go five rounds and dominate from bell to bell, post to post. It was a great performance. You mentioned in your post-fight scrum, like how tired you were down the stretch and Rick Little, your head coach, got you all fired up for that fifth round. He just knows you so well to know exactly what to say to you and when to say it. But outside of, of just that moment, how big was he in between the other rounds and giving you what you needed in those moments to, to keep you at the level you were competing at? He's huge, man. I've been with Rick for, this will be, be 13 years this May. So I started training mixed martial arts and I started with Rick. So he's seen me essentially grow from a, 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 you know, a young man to a grown man. You know what I mean? Um, and he just knows, he knows how to get in my head. He knows how to say the right things. And, you know, fatigue hit me hard and watching the fight a couple times and reading my body language. Like after the third round, I go right to the post and I rest my hands on the rail. I'm like, ah, taking a big breath. And, um, you know, I started to show the fatigue, but he knows, he knows my style. He knows what I needed to do. And from a tactical standpoint and from a psychological standpoint, you know, when he's telling me like, if you want to be a effing champion, you need to push these next five minutes. Like he just, the types of things that's, that goes beyond the X's and O's of the sport. Sometimes it's about stuff that involves your, what goes on in here and what's going on in here. And he knows how to get to those places. And I was ready to die in that fifth round, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm not trying to sound dramatic, but I just felt when he gave me that speech, like off the stool, I was like, screw it, dude. Just like, just go till you fall. And like, what's there to lose at this point? You know? So I knew if I didn't, 
you know, I don't, I didn't think Neil would finish me, but a 10, eight round, you know, that makes it a dead tie and all that work for nothing. So he knew what to say and he said it right. And that's why he's, that's why he's my head coach. That's why he's the man. One of the, the the key things from our conversation heading into this fight was you you felt like a new man. Like the surgery at the time, it didn't go completely smooth like when it actually went down, but you said that this was the healthiest you had maybe ever been heading into a fight. And, you know, especially being on two good legs, which was a little bit different for you. So A, how much did you notice that in the fight? Like, was it something you noticed right away? And B, how much has that affected like the post-fight recovery process? Everything's good, man. Everything's so good. Like not dragging my leg behind me through camp and, and you know, post fight, you know, I just, it might, the pain in my hip would just get worse and worse. And I mean, I feel great. Like I, my fiance and Rick, they're keeping me held back from like jumping back into training right now. They're like, dude, give yourself at least a week to just like recover. You know, I'm still, I think I'm a little banged up, you know, like nothing over the top, but the biggest thing is like everything from the waist down feels great, you know, and, and it's, that's mainly on the left side of my body. So, um, just to not have that pain in my hip, not have that pain in my knee. Uh, it's just a crazy feeling, you know, it's, and I think that that's kind of why I'm like, I'm in such a rush to get back to training. I'm like, I get, I feel good. Like my legs aren't busted up. Like I don't need, I, you know, I need to get my shoulder looked at a little bit, but I don't feel like it's anything major, a couple stitches in my eye. But outside of that, I mean, structurally, I'm still good. And, you know, I'm excited for this year. I'm not going to rush. I'm not going to rush anything. You know, I don't want to fight any earlier than July. There's some big fights that need to play out. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens. But just as of now, I'll get back to training after Wednesday. But, you know, I'm going to try to keep myself. I'm going to try to chill out a little bit. Enjoy the enjoy this good feeling. <laughs> Was there like a certain point in the fight where you're just like, huh, this this feels nice. Like not having to drag that like this is great. It was before the fight, honestly. It was like during the warm up. I'm like, gosh, I've just I just feel good. Like I, I've never. So Sam Cecilia was in my corner as well. And after the fight got done, I'm like, man, I just can't explain to you like how good I felt in there. I felt good warming up. I just, everything felt right. I felt happy. I remember when I got, when they're greasing me up, I just remember thinking in my head, I'm like, I love this so much. And it's, it, I forgot for a year, you know, this, it was a tough year and I had a long break from the sport. And he's like, you need to go and write down how that felt to remind yourself down the road, you know, cause it's, it was just such a special event for me. Everything felt right. And it was, um, it was surreal, man. I, I love this sport so much. It's insane. You know, especially when Neil says things and I know it's just, you know, the, the pre-fight jabs, you know, but it's like, I want to make him want to stick to commentating or whatever it was. It's like, dude, there's nothing I love more in the world than being a competitor. I love competing. I love getting under the bright lights and laying it on the line. Yeah, this is who I am. This is what I do. And this is what I love. So it was a very special experience for me. And I'm glad that I feel good mentally and physically. You get the win, you get the microphone, you call Colby out. It was short and sweet. Flexion's over. Shtick is up. Let's go. And you said in your scrum that this thing was, it was off the cuff. You shot from the hip and you know, you've called them up before, but was there like a part of you? Cause you always have like a name ready. You're not a trash talker, but you always have a name ready. Was there a part of you that always knew like Colby would be the guy because yeah, you had done it before, but why do you think if it was off the cuff that you got to that point to fire that second shot in that moment? I don't know. I think, um, I think it just jumped in my head. You know what I mean? Uh, my manager had said something to me. He's like, who are you going to call out after the, after the fight? I think you should call for Colby with the election being done. And this was like at the very beginning when I got to fight Island, and I was like, nah, man, I'm just, I'm not even thinking about that. And I put zero thought into it. I just, 
I just wanted to be focused on Neil. He's just a guy like you cannot give him any space. You know what I mean? If I have one lapse in mental focus on him, you know, he might stack that could, that could snowball into something really big. So I just maintain my focus on him and maybe it's cause it was DC. Cause you know, last time I had the mic with DC, I did it. I don't know. Uh, it just felt right. You know what I mean? Um, and I know this, the, it's a tough fight for me. I know, you know, I, I see what people say and I know the reality of it is it, there's a good chance that a man can beat me, but how am I going to try to become a world champion if I'm not trying to fight the best guys? You know what I mean? Every underdog has to be an underdog. You know what I mean? It's like, how am I, I gotta, I'm, I'm not going to be a favorite in all my fights. I wasn't even a favorite in this fight. Everybody's supposed to beat me. I feel like every time I fight, I'm an underdog. So it's like, whatever, like I'd rather fight the best guys, lay it on the line to, to get to my goal. So you know, I aimed big for that one. I thought it was pretty good. Um, you know, short and sweet, very concise. So we'll see what happens, man. If he gets the Mazadal fight, that's all fine and dandy. But like I said, I'm not fighting any earlier than July. Big fights in the division. We'll see how they shake out and, um, you know, we'll go from there. Yeah, I, I remember the the first time you called them out, people, I mean, people are just like, eh. And there's some people who just like poo-poo every idea anyways, like no matter what it is or how brilliant it is, they find something wrong with it. I feel like this time around, a lot of people liked this call out. They, they liked the idea. They feel if the UFC can't get this fight with Colby and Mazadal going, they're down for it. Like, have you noticed a more positive response this time around? Yeah, definitely. Definitely a positive response. And, you know, and uh, that that that's good to it's positive amongst the fans and amongst the media. Um, I'm very happy about that. You know what I mean? It's not that everybody is saying positive things like, Oh, I'm going to win. You know, they're just like, wow, I like that match. You know, like that's a fight that makes sense at this point. And I feel like it makes sense. You know, if, if the Mazadal fight doesn't get done, like who else is there for him to fight? Usman and Burns are booked. Everyone else is booked. Um, and there's me, you know what I mean? Maybe they do him and wonder boy. Who knows? I don't know. But all I know is it just it felt right. And there's there's like a little storyline in the sense that he wrestled at Oregon State and one of his coaches was Kevin Roberts. And when I wrestled in high school, I never went to college first wrestling. I wasn't even that good in high school, but my head coach was Dusty Roberts, Kevin's brother. So there's just this kind of like there's like a Northwest connection in a sense. And it would get the wrestling community between Washington and Oregon very invested. And you know how much I'm, I'm all about the wrestling community, man. I think it would make some waves, uh, you know, see who's who, let's find out who the toughest guy in the Northwest is. Let's find out who the toughest welterweight in our in the Pacific Northwest is so. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, people people dig that idea. Uh, the other popular choices that I've seen, I mean, I host a matchmaking podcast, so people throw ideas at us all the time. So Wonder Boy is a popular one. Damian Maya being his final opponent is a popular one. So, I mean, not as big as Colby, but, I mean, is is there something to like with both of those options, I guess? Uh, with Wonder Boy, yes. Not with Damian. I'm not going to be a part of somebody's swan song, man. That's just not how it's going to work. You know what I mean? Not to mention, I'm on a four-fight win streak right now. I'm surging. That just doesn't make that doesn't make any sense for me. And I think Damian's a hell of an athlete. He's, you know, that would be like, you know, the passing of the torch, the best grappler in the division. But I just, it doesn't really. There's no interest there, and that would never happen. If he should fight Diego Sanchez or Cowboy Cerrone or one of those guys, and have that be his last fight, you know what I mean? Like, you don't want to end your career on a loss. So I would, I would rather he just, you know, he. That's a fight that doesn't make sense for us. It makes yeah, good answer. Good I answer. Mean, I, I mean, it's not. It, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but it's like, I've I've already fought the guys that are kind of like, 
you know, the old guard. I've, I've been there. You know what I mean? And I don't need to go back there. I just fought a contender. I fought a guy that's the second all-time wins leader at welterweight. It's time for me to go to the top of the heap. It's time for me to get a shot at the top of the mountain. I earned it. I deserved it. Four fights in a row, four tough wins. Like, I'm, I'm looking at a top five guy, and that's it. You and Wonderboy for the uh, the NMF title. That sounds oh, like a, a lot man. of fun. He's such a good guy, and he's a hell of a fighter. He's, uh, that would be a fun fight for sure. And if the Kobe fight falls through, then may the nicest mother ever win. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, there you go. We're, we're, we're hang on to this to that quote because I, I feel we might need that one. Um, well, I, I do want to get your thoughts on a few things, Mike, uh, if you don't mind, sir. I got to talk to you about Dustin Poirier. In that massive win over Conor McGregor, you, I, everyone else looked at this fight in a very similar way. If it ends quick, it's a Conor night. If we play the long game, it's a Poirier night. You told me it will be either a KO of the year for Conor or Poirier would win the fight of the year. What we got was a KO of the year contender from Dustin Poirier in just over seven minutes into the fight. So what did you think of that performance? How did you react to it as you were watching it? Man, I love Dustin Poirier. Such a good guy, such a good man, good ambassador for the sport. And, you know, it's easy to get sold and caught into the hype. I mean, this is Conor McGregor we're talking about. This guy has done some phenomenal things in the octagon. He's had some stellar performances. His his career has basically been one big highlight reel. You know, but the guy, the best, the best prediction that I heard out of anybody was Bilal Muhammad. Bilal Muhammad freaking hit the nail on the head. Like, give that guy some credit. That guy nailed it. Like, you know, Poirier's more hungry. This guy has been active. He's been fighting the toughest fights. Uh, you know, Connor's last fight before this one. No disrespect to my guy Cowboy Cerrone, but he, you know, he, you know, it's zero and four in his last few fights, and you know, it's not. It was more, it was, that was a very favorable matchup for Connor. And I think people for, it's easy to get caught in the hype. You know what I mean? So I'm very, very happy for Dustin Poirier. He deserves it. And, you know, on that note, it's good that, you know, I have a jacket that I had signed that I'm auctioning off at the Good Fight Foundation. Uh, comes with a Zoom call and a bunch of other cool things. And, um, you know, I'm not a, a big money generator like the superstars of the sport, but I want to I want to help any way I can. So, uh, you know, I got a link in my bio on my Instagram. So if anybody wants to, to throw a bid on that auction, this jacket off, help some some kids that are in need. That'd be great. Thank you, Dustin Poirier, for the opportunity to to join the to join the Good Fight Foundation. That's very cool. I was going to ask you about that. So there you go. Go to go to Mike Cleas's Instagram page and, and and feel that out. From like an analytics perspective, people are talking about the leg kicks Poirier was landing, and they were ferocious, and they were a huge difference in that second round. I don't know about you. I wanted to get your take on this because you know way more than I do. I thought that takedown in the first round was the biggest point of that fight. Like I think it made Connor work. And when you have two guys at this level. Dean Thomas says it all the time. It's whoever makes the first mistake and not necessarily that Connor made a mistake here, but that takedown just made, gave Connor a little something extra to think about, opened up the leg kick game a little bit more. I thought that takedown and making Connor work a little bit extra in that first round was such a difference maker. And it opened things up for, for a more open game plan in the second round with the leg kicks and then the striking to, to cap off the fight. How big was that takedown in your opinion? Am I putting too much stock into that? No, you're not putting too much stock into it at all. 
what Dustin Poirier did very good was got Connor thinking about everything going on from the waist down, the leg kicks, the takedown. It opened up his, it made Connor start to focus his hands from here to here, you know, and Connor's on the shell guy, but just, to, just as an emphasis, his, his hands are coming from here down here. He's starting to try to catch the leg kick. And that's one thing that that's when, you know, something's starting to work is when they're getting to a point where they can't check it and they're starting to reach for it. And that opens up the head, the headshots a lot more. I think one thing that Dustin did very well was he timed the lazy Connor threw a few lazy punches, like threw a few lazy jabs. Dustin did a very good job pulling and countering and just firing off of Connor's shots. Like you have to do that against Connor McGregor. Like if he, if he throws a lazy punch at you or he even touches you with one, you have to fire back immediately. Otherwise that's going to start to, he's going to start to steamroll off of that. So Dustin did a good job timing a few of those lazy jabs, pulling and countering, Landed some good punches, landed the late kicks. He just showed he has a full arsenal of tools that he could use to win a fight, especially against a guy like Conor McGregor. So now there's this debate going around about who Dustin should fight next because the man has options now. He could fight for the title. Habib is not coming back. At least if he does, it won't be anytime soon. I'd be shocked if that happened. He could fight Michael Chandler, very popular choice after Saturday. And, you know, there's a lot of support around Charles Oliveira getting that title shot, even though deserving really means anything in the sport in this day and age, which is unfortunate. But Poirier likes a third fight with McGregor. He likes the Oliveira idea. He also likes the Nate Diaz idea. And if you've been following the social media scene over the last 48 hours or so, Nate likes that idea as well. So what do you want to see from like a fight fan perspective? What do you think we will see here? I would like to see Nate versus Dustin, but that doesn't make any sense at, at all. Um, that would be a slap in the face to some of the guys that are coming off wins. Uh, you know, and, and when it comes to the title picture, sometimes that gets overlooked. We've seen Yoel Romero get title shots off losses and things of that sort. But um, I think you got to keep the ball rolling with the trilogy. I think you got to do Dustin and Connor. You don't, you can't risk Connor going out. Like if it was up to me, I'd go Nate Diaz versus Poirier. And then I would go Gaethje versus Connor. But then that you're not you're always going to have the Nate Diaz trilogy with Connor. That's going to be there for life. You know that fight was at a totally separate weight class, so it doesn't matter how their careers go. You can make that happen at any point, but you can't guarantee that Connor beats another contender. You know what I mean? He has great skills, but this is a very tough division. So I think that don't risk, don't don't risk losing the option for this Dustin Poirier Connor McGregor trilogy. I think you make that one next, and then you do Chandler and Oliveira, uh, and then you do Hooker Nate Diaz. I think that's that's what makes the most sense. Or you go Conor McGregor versus Paul Felder. That's that's, oh. just, my, that's just my take. And that there's something there. You know what I mean? Uh, I think there's a lot. There's something there. And uh, you know, there's there's been some jabs. There could be some good pre-fight buildup. And it would be funny to hear Bruce Buffer say Paul the German Dragon <laughs> Felder if he actually sucked to that. <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, louder reaction from you on Saturday. Poirier's win, Chandler's win, or Juliana Pena's win? Juliana Pena, man. Julie Pena all day. Yeah, man. That's my girl. She looked good. She's had a tough role in the UFC, man. She's fought some hitters. She's beat a lot of hitters, you know, and, and she said it best. Like, the she's winning these fights, and she just makes one tactical error, and it's costed her against Valentina, and it cost her against Drain um, Durandamine. But – who's left for Amanda? You know what I mean? There really is nobody left. Um, and I think that that's just a fight to make. And I might, I, there might be a bias there, but even if I wasn't teammates with Juliana Penny, I'm still looking at the title picture. That's the fight that makes sense. You know what I mean? I think that you give her Amanda Nunes. Uh, we'll see what happens with the Megan Anderson fight. Um, and this is a division 
where you know if a girl females don't have to be on a long win streak to get a title shot you just need one signature win and i feel like that is a signature win she needed she just submitted sarah mcmahon who's a silver medalist in the olympics she threw her back in the third round i mean like like had a nice iranian stepped across threw a really good um you know, I think you have her a title shot. Why not? Why not? Why not Julie? I mean, Amanda's Amanda's cleaned out, you know, she's cleaned out everyone in the division, but her, I feel like, and I feel like she, uh, I, we wouldn't be having this conversation had she beat Durand. I mean, she would have locked herself in as the next contender. So she's got a big one under her belt. Let's go Julie Pena. Yeah. She needed that one. That was a great performance. Uh, last thing I want to discuss before we let you go, because you have a, from, from like our past conversation, you were a pretty unique perspective on this fight. UFC 258, Kamara Usman versus Gilbert Burns for the welterweight title. And, you know, Usman's looked unbeatable for a long time. Burns has surged up the ranks to earn the shot. You know, first half of 2020, Gilbert Burns is everybody's fighter of the year before everything just sort of halted for him waiting for this fight to happen. And there's a lot of story here. But from your perspective, what are your thoughts on this fight? Because you have this really tough to beat champion taking on a guy who you feel when it's all said and done in Gilbert Burns, that Gilbert Burns could be your competitive and like respectful rival slash arch nemesis when it's all said and done. Like you feel like you and Gilbert Burns are going to have this like respectable history between yourselves. Like you told me this before, like you have this feeling that you and Gilbert are going to have this long history together. How do you view this fight? I tell you what, me and Burns would be a hell of a fight. You know what I mean? That guy, <laughs> you want to talk about, you know, that guy next to Colby, those are my two toughest matchups, I feel like. Um, you know, Burns, because he's got such good jiu-jitsu, man. It's insane. You watch his gi jiu-jitsu matches, and it's violent. The guy is violent. Everywhere a fight goes, he is just violent, high pace, hits hard, very well coached. I mean, anybody from Sanford MMA is, you know, you're in for a, a tough ass fight. But when it comes to this matchup with Kamara Usman versus Gilbert Burns, we, we will, I feel like you never see these teammates versus teammate fights. I still have this build as that given that the Usman's on training in Denver with under the tutelage of, of Trevor Whitman. But, you know, Gilbert's so dynamic. He can, he can knock you out. He can submit you like a true dual threat. You know, he can really do it all, you know, but Burns, he's he's solid. He can take a shot and he has he has championship level experience. He's been a very dominant welterweight champion. I feel like this win over Burns could put him over the top as arguably one of the greatest welterweight champions we've ever seen. So, you know, and, and the one thing that Burns has done and he did that in his last fight with Tyron Woodley is he showed he can keep a pace for five rounds. He showed, you know, and in the past and it could have been the cut to 155 pounds. You know, he, he could keep a good pace, but there was some fights where he did fade, but that is not the case. Now he's a welterweight. I mean, the guy's an animal. He can train hard. He can bring that ferocity, and he can do it from the first minute of the fight to the last second of the fifth round. The guy can push a hard pace. So I think he's going to push Usman to his limit, and it's hard to – it's hard to – it's hard. that's a hard one to pick. So, I, you know, my bias sways towards Gilbert Burns, you know, and we'll see what happens. I'll be watching very closely, but, you know, may the best man win. Uh, it's going to be a fun fight for us. I agree. You are the man, Mike. I could talk to you about fist fighting all day <laughs> long, my man. Uh, it's uh, You know what? I'm just going to do this. You call out Colby. You, you shot your shot. Someday, and I'm not just buttering you up, I want to see a world 
Mr. Kiesa, where it's the Mike and Mike MMA podcast. Like, forget DC and Hellfire. <laughs> forget those guys over at ESPN. Someday in the future, you and I are going to share a studio together and talk talk fist fighting for like an hour a week. I just have a feeling that's one of my career goals, Mike. I feel like you and I get a little vibe going on here. But listen, thank you for the time as always. Congratulations on the win. Next fight should be a big one for you, and uh, I'm excited to see how this plays out, my man. Awesome, Mike. I agree with you. Mike and Mike's show sounds great. And thank you for having me on as always, brother. It was good to talk to you. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down and new customers to DraftKings can bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Great performance from Michael Chiesa. Great insight as well. The guy just, he just gets it. He's such a such a great analyst too like i'm so glad that the ufc gave him an opportunity to to get on the desk and and start talking about these fights i've been talking like yes about fights for years like a lot of our interviews in the past pre-ma fighting were just about talking about fights the guy's so good and uh he's just super smart when it comes to the sport he's in line for a big fight after his win over neil magny and uh some very interesting thoughts on the lightweight title picture or the lightweight picture in general he thinks the ufc should just go back and or that they will go with the Poirier-McGregor trilogy fight. And that could very well happen. Uh, John Cavanaugh did an interview with ESPN. That's what Connor wants. He wants to fight Dustin Poirier, third fight for the vacant lightweight title. Very possible that happens. We'll see. But great stuff from Michael Chiesa. Interested to see who they pair him up with next after that win over Neil Magny. Now let's move ahead 
First interview since his win on Fight Island against Joaquin Buckley. And, I mean, literally, this is his first interview. This includes being in the octagon with John Anik. This includes being in the back with the media after that win in Abu Dhabi. Let us hear from Alessio DiCurico right now on What the Heck. All right, let us welcome one of the big winners from UFC Fight Island 7. He knocked out Joaquin Buckley in the first round on the promotion's debut on ABC. Happy to have Alessio DiCurico on the program. Alessio, how are you, sir? Very good, guys. Hi, everybody. It's great to have you here. So we are about five days removed from the big win. You came in losing your last three fights, snapped that streak in a big way. How does it all feel a few days later after the finish? Ah, it is uh, finally some some quiet. I had I had finally quiet and peace that I deserve. There you go. Were you not feeling the quiet and peace heading into the fight? No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely, I wasn't in quiet and peace. Uh, there was a, a storm inside my hand, means inside my head. So. But now it's very, it's everything okay. So after, so basically like after you finish the fight, you land the kick and the fight is ended. Was it like a big weight lifted off of your shoulders? Yeah. Ah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, at, at, the, at the end of the fight, uh, I was like uh, drained, no? Um, all the adrenaline went out and I, I feel like, like, like lost. <laughs> you know? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, I mean, was there just like a lot of pressure on you? I, mean, I know you did some interviews. You and I had spoken, you know, somewhat not like this, but we had had a, like a sort of a texting conversation on Instagram. Were you feeling a lot of pressure heading into that fight? Absolutely, yes. Was it just the losing streak? Was it the matchup itself? Or was it, you know, kind of a combination of the two? Yes. It was the, the, the losing streak, the fact that uh, Joaquin Bugley is absolutely, absolutely a, a very, a very good, uh, good fighter. And uh, in my opinion, is still one of the, of the prospect of the, of the division. And uh, yeah, it was all together. One of the things we all noticed heading into the fight, Alessio, and we all commented on this heading in, we thought the betting lines heading into this fight were outrageous. Like you had told me heading in that you respected Joaquin, you thought his knockouts were amazing, but you weren't overly impressed to get put in the position that he was put in. Were you noticing that the betting lines and that you were such a huge underdog heading into the fight, did you notice sort of the disrespect you were getting from the betting lines? Ti sei sentito offeso dal fatto che le, le scommesse ti davano ampiamente uh, perdente? Uh, yeah, about betting. No, absolutely. I don't feel like disrespect, no, you know. Uh, I, I don't care about this. I don't care about, uh, about uh, comment on social media. No, I, I, only, I only listen in uh, my coach, my staff, uh, my, my, my very good friend. Uh, so I, I don't feel like this about that. Did you, in a way, I mean, it was obviously draining to you being put in such a high-pressure position, knowing you had to win the matchup itself. In a weird way, do you almost prefer it that way because you performed so well under all of that pressure? Uh, yeah, my, my, my mental coach, uh, 
say that uh, uh, Alessio, you, you have to see to stay on high pressure to to perform uh, to perform at the best. And he, he also uh, invite me to, to to do how much interview I can, how much um, uh, social media stories to post because uh, he think that I am uh, like a performer and uh, I, I want to be humble, but he say this and uh, and I can I can I do my best under pressure. The head kick was absolutely beautiful. It was timed perfectly, and just like that, the fight was over. Was that something that you and your team saw in preparation? Like, did you guys know that the opening would be I there for that kick? I don't remember it, my friend. I still don't remember. It was absolutely instant. <laughs> you don't remember? Yeah, no. You know, the, the best thing I do in, uh, in, in the fighting, I don't remember it. <laughs> Have you gone back and watched it? I assume you've watched it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot. I think that I think that uh, the, the head kick landed because of the, the precedence to uh, leg leg kick. No? How many so, times? How many two. times have you watched I, it? Two. I remember two. <laughs> Was it amazing, yeah. like watching it back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So. How long have you been working with the mental coach? You mentioned, obviously, that was a very important aspect heading into this fight, but how long have you been working with, with uh, this mental coach? It's, it's kind of uh, an year, an year right now, one year. One year. Seemed to have made a, has it made a big difference, you think? Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it take out the best uh, from, um, from me. So the win was great. It was memorable, but a lot of people were talking about what happened after the fight because John Anik goes to give you an interview and you essentially said, you know what? I'm very happy with the win, but then you ultimately declined the interview. And then when you're with the media, probably about 20 minutes later, same thing. You were happy, but you declined to continue on. And the reason was- You, 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 you didn't listen that I call John Ariel. That was you the <laughs> <laughs> that was the, the worst stuff ever. <laughs> Is that so? Did you actually think it was? Was that just a mistake, or did you actually think that was oh, Ariel? Just a mistake. Just a mistake. I know. Uh, I know that Ariel is not working for them. But you know, after the way, I, I almost cried. You know, it was. Uh, I was drained. I was fully emotionally involved. Then uh, after the fight. Yeah. So yes, after the fight, I declined the interview. Uh, it was a choice that I made. Uh, at least two or two fights before this fight. No, that, that there's something in my mind. There is now a, a like like an attitude, you know, in this uh, in this in this business that uh, if you win, you are the the best person, the best athlete in athlete in the in the world. And if you lose, you are uh, you are trash. No, you know what I mean. And uh, I think that uh, the, the, this is going to change absolutely for us, for fighters. I, I know that if a fighter got, got knocked out, uh, he can't interview, I know. But if the, if the, the, the decision go on the points in, in, uh, in the case of a close decision, I think a fighter would have the, the opportunity no, to, to speak, to, to be interviewed. Yeah, and I think that was sort of 
where a lot of people are coming from. And and let me just say this. If someone had reached out to me like right now and said, hey, Mike, will you interview Joaquin? I would 100 percent talk to Joaquin and get his thoughts on it because I feel but I understand where you're coming from. But, you know, to ask a guy who just got knocked out to do an interview, it's tough and you understand that. So I get what you're saying. Even I actually spoke with Uriah Hall the other day top 10 guy in your division. He loved what you did. He thought that was like the best thing in the world. So I'm curious after everything, a few days later, if you could go back and do it over again, would you do it the same way? Absolutely. Yes. You would do it again. So, uh, so I'm wondering since we're talking right now, why did you decide to, to have this conversation Were you just, you ready to talk now at this point, because you would decline the other interviews. What sort of made you want to speak today? Yeah, because um, I, I didn't, I didn't say, um, um, I, I don't want, I don't want be, I, I won't be cleared. No, I don't want to make things clear. I want to make things clear, no? And uh, I want to explain what I have to say. And also I, I have sent my message. That's what I want to do. I, I I liked it. It got a lot of attention. I think like on our YouTube page, I think your 40 second scrum of you sitting with the media did like, I think like five times better than Max Holloway's scrum, if you can believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but the performance of Max Holloway was, uh, was a, a piece of art, in my opinion. So yes, I, I, I am happy about this, but... I, but I, I want to say that I absolutely don't want to um, uh, disrespect journalists. Absolutely, I don't want to dis- disrespect uh, your job. I, I want, only want to send this, mes- this, this message to try to change seeing and for fighters and make it just a little bit better. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually agree with that stance 100%. And, and absolutely, it the, the, it didn't was a, a polemic against UFC. Absolutely. Wait, c- can you say that one more time? It uh, didn't was a kind of something kind of polemic against the UFC. Okay. Yeah. Um, because no, Dana, Dana White, yeah, Dana White was asked about that at the press conference. And he actually said that he went back to congratulate you for the win. And then he yeah. said that you and your team basically like mean mugged him and you just stared right through him in essence. Like, is that yeah. true? Like what happened there? As, as I said, I was full drained after the, the fight. I almost did not rec- rec- recognize him. And uh, so I, I, I asked him sorry um, to him, to Mick Maynard and uh, you know, it was uh, it was it was a, a crazy reaction uh, after the win. One of my favorite things about the interview that we did before the fight was when I asked you what your message was to the fans and people out there who were doubting you heading into the fight. Your answer was, "They will be new fans of mine on Saturday night." So, did that happen? Like, have you noticed a lot of new people following you on social media? <laughs> Absolutely, yes, it was. It was. It was. I. Um, I. In, in in my social media, how many how many people love me? Like like twenty thousand. Twenty thousand people. That's my son. I'm sorry. Eh? It's okay. Twenty twenty thousand new people. Yes. Wow, that's crazy. Is that like shocking to you? Yeah, I didn't expect. 
maybe it was also about um, for for ABC. Oh yeah, that's true as well. So your I see your son back there. How much has your son motivated you to? to help. I mean, you've been drained and obviously when you become a parent, I'm a parent, I have a seven-year-old son. So I understand how that can change us and motivate us in different ways. So how much has, you know, your son motivated you? Uh, absolutely. It's uh, my son, my, my family, you know, uh, on March, uh, uh, we'll be, um, we'll born my, um, another son. And uh, family is uh, something that I always want in my life, and uh, is the the only important th thing, only important stuff to fight. No, and it, it changed completely my my mind as a fighter. No, at the start you fight for passion because you love it. Now now I I, I fight only because it's the, the best thing I I know to do to provide to my family. And uh, it, it completely change and uh, make my life uh, so so much better. People people are afraid to get a son, no. But uh, I think that um, athlete life, no, uh, have a diet, training, uh, go sleep early. It's uh, it, it's enough to uh, to compare with a father life. You, you understand? No. So oh, I definitely understand. I mean, I'm not a fighter, but I understand where you're coming from. It's it's a full time job, right? Yeah, it's a full time job, but um, it's a, it's a good training to be athlete, to be father. No? So it it did, did not change my my did not change it my 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 routine. So as a, I do the the same stuff, and uh, but uh, give me. So much motivation, so much reason to fight. That's great. And I, I understand where you're coming from 100%. Um, can I ask you about Kevin Holland? Because when you when we when we spoke, you said that you watched the fight with Kevin Holland in Buckley. You said you, you needed to watch that to, to learn some tendencies. Uh, but you thought Joaquin Butler Joaquin Buckley, excuse me, was better than that clown known as Kevin Holland. And you fought Kevin as well. Can you talk about why you feel that way about Kevin? Like, why do you feel he's a clown? Yeah, uh, because uh, he, he is, uh, his words are empty. He's, uh, he's an empty... Um, he, he only do for show, no? All, everything he do is only for show. He's, uh, he's all involved in this, in this game uh, created by Conor McGregor the, about... Uh, about the respect, uh, about hate, about show, no, something I don't like. I never, I never, I will never like in this business. And uh, I don't want to trash talk with Kevin Holland. I respect him uh, as an athlete, but I think that Buckley accept his fight uh, like uh, six, six or seven days short notice. So he, he wasn't ready to fight him. And. Um, I, I I think that Kevin uh, I don't know I, I I don't know him because if you if you know really a person uh, I think that uh, um, you you always can find something good you know in a person but for everything he he do in the octagon with me before the fight in a podcast after the fight after the fight uh, I I I don't like him. I don't like him. I, I I will be very very grato 
grateful, great for for fighting him. To fight him again. Eat him again. He's actually he's about to fight Derek Brunson on March twentieth. How do you how do you see that fight playing it's, out? It's confirmed. Okay, perfect. Uh, I, I think uh, I will train uh, and uh, in the case uh, the something go to go wrong, I I will do the the best to to take this fight. Okay. This, this and all the fight of Kevin Holland. So if something happens to that fight on March 20th, you're ready to step in and, and take a spot here. Yes. Who do you think wins that fight? Do you think Brunson wins or Holland wins? I think that, uh, you know, Kevin has, um, has an attitude uh, speaking uh, during the fight that uh, he, he can um, influence the, the judge. Just so. He can influence the judge. So he, is, is it, it is possible that Kevin uh, take it in the points. As far as you go, of course, you want to be ready for that fight if something were to happen. But let's just say everything goes the way it's planned to go. When would you like to return? Like you were only in there for a little over two minutes. Do you want to get back in there relatively soon or do you want to take some time because you were so drained after the buildup to this fight? No, no, I am ready for fight again. Now, now I, I take a week for um, vacation and uh, to, to don't think about the future, but uh, man, I have to soon, uh, I have to pay the rent. No? So uh, let's, let's work. Let's get you back in there, right? Yeah. But you want to wait till probably like after, before the birth of your second child or after? Do you want to try to wait till after? Yeah, I prefer, uh, it's, it's okay also before. I think I can accept also and um, no, he is expected to to, to, um, to burn in, uh, in the end of March. So till 20 March, I can, uh, I think I can, I can accept the fight. So, but. Nice. Um, last thing before we let you go. Oh, go my, my babysitter, so I, <laughs> I, I can leave. I can leave my my wife with her, no? and I'm pretty sure that at at 3 a.m. I can uh, do everything for her. He doesn't. He doesn't charge you any money to babysit, does he? <laughs> no, 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 no. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last thing, I, man. I, I, <laughs> I work for free. I work for free with his son. Uh, there, there you go. Find yourself, find yourself somebody like that in your life and, and you're good to go. Um, I, I wanted to end with this because you seem to be making it a point to support the fighters, to support the sport and make sure that MMA is presented in a positive way. So what is the message for everybody following this win on Saturday and about the state of MMA in general? MMA is a sport, just this. MMA is a sport. Some sometimes it it is um, uh, confused. It it is confused with um, with show. Sometimes with um, with wrestling, pro wrestling, no. Uh, but MMA is a sport. It, it's changed my life, and uh, every people have to understand this. I hope one day it will go to the to the Olympics. That would be great. Do you think it'll ever happen? Do you think we'll get to that point? Difficult. 
Yeah, very... I agree. But uh, I hope. Yeah, that would be something else. But Alessio, congratulations on the win. Really impressive stuff. Can't wait to see what's next for you. Hopefully we get you on that March 20th card one way or the other. But uh, but I appreciate the time, man. I, I respect everything you did on Saturday in the fight, after the fight, all of that stuff. And uh, you, you stood your ground. And, and I respect that a lot about you. So congratulations. Enjoy it. Enjoy your vacation. And uh, we'll see you back in there soon, man. Thank you so much, Mike, also for this um, opportunity to explain what I said. And uh, sorry for my English. I'm I'm growing up about are you about doing? This. You did a great job. You did awesome. Yeah. He, he, he don't believe so. <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> I force him. I force him to study English. You know, he has to study his techniques, his jab, his low kick, his high kicks. There's more need to study English. You know, <laughs> but he's a champ on that too. <laughs> I will do it on uh, Netflix. That's my best. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to learn, my man. Thank you so much for the time. Big thanks right there to Alessio De Curico for the time. Very interesting insight. He gets it. He gets what everyone was saying in the aftermath. Like he didn't he didn't necessarily mean like media only interviews winners after fights. He meant media only interviews winners after fights like in general. Not like literally after fights, like in the octagon. He meant like, hey listen, you when I win, everybody wants to interview me, but what about the guy I fought? Takes two to tango, and I get it. Like, I know if you watched the show last week, I know it was kind of buried with 5,000 scrums and everything going on with UFC 257 and that crazy fight week, but I know Uriah Hall is a big fan of what he did, And but either way, huge win for DeCurico. We'll see where he ends up going for his next fight after that massive win over Joaquin Buckley as we put a bow on this week's episode of the show. A little bit shorter than normal, but listen just been a wild week it's hard to get any of the 257 winners on the show because they're all flying home late last night most of them got home at like four o'clock this morning eastern standard time so i didn't want to bother anybody we'll try to get some of them on the show next week but uh we do have one more interview to get to before we take it on home but just want to give a quick shout out to all of you out there watching and listening to the program right now the numbers for this past week during the fight island stuff the coverage absolutely ridiculous on the site the podcast network youtube just amazing we can't thank you all enough and a big shout out to the whole mma fighting squad most notably jose young's man was a one-man show doing the work of pretty much three people out there some sites had multiple people two three even he was out there by himself absolutely killed it and uh we appreciate that very much and and jose very much good dude fellow new englander comes with the territory but you'll be able to uh Get more of his experience on Wednesday with the return of the A-Side live chat, so don't miss that. But with that said, thanks for watching. Big thank you to Casey Lyon on the production, Jose and Alex Savas on the graphics. And as always, have a heck of a week, everybody. We're going to wrap things up with my chat with another big winner in Abu Dhabi. Let us chat with the Hurricane himself. All right, Hurricane Ike is joining us. It landed in Abu Dhabi and it is back in the United States. Huge win this past Wednesday. Knocks out Venetius Marrera in the second round. Main card spot. First UFC win. Life is good in Texas for Ike Villanueva. How are you, sir? Um, man, I'm doing good, man. Uh, great to be back home, especially after that big win. So it's been around five days as we record from the big finish and, you know, first octagon win in three tries. It happens in Abu Dhabi. What does it all feel like less than a week later? Oh man, it's still, uh, still unbelievable, man. Cause you know, that's 13 years of hard work that I put into that night 
And, uh, man, I'm still soaking it all in. I mean, everybody still called me, congratulating me. It's just, man, I'm just very thankful I had the opportunity to perform out there, and it was a, it was a wonderful time. So quick story. I'm, I'm watching the fight on Wednesday, and you're getting introduced, and I noticed immediately that – you are in incredible shape, man. Like I actually sent the great Ed Cap a message on Facebook and I was like, dude, I got to get on that Ike Villain away of a diet. The dude looks un- uh, unbelievable. Like you looked like this peak athletic Ike. Like you, you looked like a different guy, man. Like, is that accurate? Did you feel different? Was, did you do something different? Um, yeah, I just, man, I trusted the diet, man. Uh, thanks. Th- thankfully, uh, trifecta eats eat evolve. They took care of me this whole training camp and I was just real disciplined this camp and it, it showed and it paid off, man. It was just, that's something as a fighter, you know, we, we tend to you know, cheat a little bit on those little diets, but I stuck to it this time and man, they really showed this camp. Is that like the best you probably like looked and felt physically heading into a fight you think oh yeah yes sir no doubt i guess thankfully you know going forward i my, my job my my goal is to keep on you know continue with the diet and keep on trying to get better but yeah that was the best i ever looked i was excited what was the weight cut like for you like how much did you have to cut to get to 205 oh uh, i tell you what this, this is probably the easiest cut i had i i said in the uh, <laughs> We actually made a video on my Instagram of, you know, just making fun of the weight cut. It was so easy. It took 30 minutes, like two 15-minute sessions, just cutting down in the hot tub. That was it. It was like, man, Abu Dhabi, thankfully, Trifecta just took care of us with the meals. And so I just stuck to that eating that. I was eating four times a day, the Trifecta meals, and then Abu Dhabi, which was amazing because I was full, but I was still, still cutting the weight. It was amazing. There you go. You're like a spokesperson for trifecta right now. It show it really works, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yes, sir. So in this pandemic era, since the UFC has come back, you have fought in Jacksonville, you fought in Las Vegas at the Apex, and now you fought in Abu Dhabi. Pretty short list of fighters who have done all three of those things in this short amount of time. But a lot was riding on this one. What, what was the whole experience like for you in Abu Dhabi, especially with so much at stake in this fight? Um, man, just the experience. I mean, the W Hotel, five star for a reason, man. That was an amazing hotel. Too bad we were in like it was a like a prison. We were in quarantine the whole time, <laughs> but it was still, man. The whole staff was amazing. The UFC staff was amazing. But like I said, man, this fight it was another game seven. My back was against the wall again, and you know, like I said, if it's a game seven, I, you know, when my back's against the wall, I perform the best. And I showed that throughout my career. It was do or die, and I wasn't ready to go, go home. I'm not done. I'm not done. I still got a lot of fights left in me, and now we can get the ball rolling. So I'm excited moving forward. So you're across the globe getting ready for the most important fight of your career. You're at the hotel in, in prison, so to speak. You can't really go anywhere. And then a little less than a week before the fight, USADA comes out and announces that your opponent had tested positive for a banned substance, but luckily he only received a warning and the fight would still go on a schedule. Did you know about this at all? Like, how did you react to this? I was pissed. I mean, <laughs> I was pissed. It was funny because I sat in the UFC uh, interview room with our, the ESPN broadcast team and I let them know how I felt. Ah, man. They're like, man, tell me about your opponent. What do you think about him? And I said, I said, F bleep, 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 then my damn opponent, man, because they really, man, bothered me so much because every one of my fights so far in the UFC, you saw has got involved. Chase Sherman tested positive. George Gonzalez tested positive. And this one, I was like, oh, my God, really? Can we have a you know, fair playing field? 
because you know, you saw them, man. They test me, man, all the time. They'll test me on Sunday nights when I'm relaxing with my family. And to see guys like that get tested and test positive, and all you saw them do was just hey, a little pat on the hand, little, little. Oh no, I'm uh, not gonna punish you, but I'm just gonna give you a warning. That was total BS, man. Yeah, I was, I'm still upset about it, but I'm glad because whatever steroids you take, like I said in my, my Twitter, it didn't make his jaw stronger. I mean, it showed. Was there a little more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Was there a little more uh, pleasure in that knockout, all oh, things considered? Okay. That, that's where all the vocalness, all, all the loudest was coming out after the fight. I was just like letting everybody know, you know, about that. You no, know, downers, namesayers, I just took it out of him and just for him taking all those, whatever he took. Yeah, that was for that. <laughs> so the walk to the octagon, like, as I mean, there's just so much has to be going on in your mind right now. What was that like for you? Like, did, did you have to work to kind of control the mental aspect and, and keep yourself calm throughout all of this? Nah, man. When my music started playing, uh, it was my time. I knew my my coaches were like, man, it's you know, let's do or die. We're, we're doing this for Gigi. Gigi's my my new baby, and uh, it was just for her, man. Uh, I was just motivated. I was I was a man on fire walking to that case. Then just to hear the crowd, that was amazing. That was awesome. Finally, we had fans, and when the fans are there, I perform my best, and I was excited. That was amazing. You were digging to the body pretty early in the fight. Like he started leaving it wide open for you and, and you were just going right to the bread basket, kind of banking those points, so to speak. I mean, you were obviously going for the knockout. You didn't want this fight to last very long, but you were very patient waiting for it. Ike. Like, was the patience something in your coaches really took a lot of value in heading into this fight? Yes, sir. Yeah. Cause you know, we had a lot riding on this fight and it was a make or break. So I didn't want to rush it. I knew eventually I would get it. I was just being patient. I had to wear the body down, and me going to the body, and it, it took away his shot. He 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 couldn't change levels because I kept hitting hitting the body. We noticed that in film, and that was the main game plan: wear the body down. Eventually, his hands will drop, and my overhand right will come you know come into play, and it did because I was very surprised he didn't shoot, and my game plan worked. It was amazing. What'd you call it? The the kiss of death? Is that what you, you know, nicknamed it? Mario, yeah, Mario Ellie, Game Seven, kiss of death. That's a Houston legacy right there. So yeah, that was amazing. And just the way it went when I when he fell down, it all played out like it was amazing, man. You can't even write a. I was like, man, perfect end to my like a chapter. It's like, man, movie ending, kiss of death. Good night. <laughs> I mean, that was that's as vicious of a knockout as you'll ever see. Like, do you remember? like vividly what it felt like when it landed because i've talked to guys like michael chandler when he knocked out benson henderson in his last bellator fight he said he didn't remember the shot landing at all like do you yeah. remember it like and if so oh. what did it feel like oh, oh man it was like dead body just collapsed it was like amazing like i felt my hand go through his jaw like i can feel like my my fist going to the back of his head if you look at the pictures that usc posted you'll see the ripple effects in the back of his head like that skull moves it was a pretty gruesome but yeah Ah, man, I still have that in my memory. I'm like, it was amazing. Like, man, but like I said, years of hard work into that punch. 13 years, and I just let it into him. So I was like, man, I can see the, the confetti flying out. Just like, man, <laughs> it was amazing. Weight lifted off your shoulders, I assume? Just oh, a big yes, weight? Yes, because I showed the world I belong to the UFC. And that's how you prove it. Make a statement. I didn't get the 50000 but, man, just getting that first win was better than the 50,000. I was just going to say, because 
I, and I said this after the fight as well. You get the win. You've done the right things in the fight. You said the right things on the microphone after the fight. You didn't go on and be like, hey, Dana, I want that 50 G's. Like you just said, listen, I'm a blue collar guy. I'm trying to take care of this family. I love working for the UFC. It's an honor to work for this company. You did everything right. And then they give out the bonuses. Fight of the night, easy. Worley Alves gets a bonus. And then Umar Namagamadov gets a bonus, who, by the way, not taking anything away from him, spectacular performance, but no bonus for the hurricane. Like, were you surprised you didn't get the bonus? Yeah, I was a little upset, man. I was kind of more, more heartbroken about it, man, because you look at uh, Khabib's uh, cousin. He was a 7-1 to favorite, man. I was like, come on, man. My fight was a little bit even, but, man, it was just – it was a little heartbreaking, but, man, I was just glad I got the win. I mean, you can't – it's part of the game, man. It was, I was so close. Me and Jason House, we laughed about it now. We're like, man, we almost had it. And uh, But just hearing – just hearing the guys like DC and Paul Felder, <clears throat> they all felt my story. They all, you know, they told me eventually I'll, I'll get taken care of later down the road. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if they'll send me a little extra something. But we'll see. Did you get a chance to talk to Dan at all after? Did he say anything to you? Uh, no, I did talk to the VP of USC. They came and shook my hand. I didn't get to talk to Dana. Mick Maynard, I talked to Mick Maynard. He was proud of me. And uh, that was about it. I haven't talked to Dana yet, but, but I'll get my shot soon. So the win's bigger than the bonus, but I'm sure just getting home, you, you mentioned Gigi, getting home to your family, your new baby girl, coming home with a victory, that's got to be worth more than any bonus could could ever pay you, right? Third, man, it was amazing coming back home, seeing my family, everybody was so happy for me. It was amazing, man. It was just, you know, being able to come back home and, like, just seeing my kids and you know, seeing my wife, it was amazing. And just making my, especially my sons, making them proud and, Know, all the years of hard work I sacrificed, missing time with them, finally paid off. And they were, and hey, I made World Center top ten. Yes, that badass. I was the number uh, top three. That was a, forget. I didn't get the bonus, but just being able to have my kids say, "Dad, you were on Sports Center top 10. That was amazing, man. Their friends loved it. My family loved it. My teammates. It was amazing. That's amazing, man. <laughs> I thought it was great. You, you you said in your interview with DC, you were like, "Listen." This is great, but I'll be back to work on Monday. And it looks like you get your work shirt on. It's Monday yeah. night as we record, back to work. And I know I know you and I have talked about this before, but so many people have been asking me over the last few days. For those who don't know, what do you do for work outside of fighting? I work for Hunting Subsea, um, uh, CNC Machinist. And uh, just something uh, – I'm, I followed my dad's footsteps. Uh, so I'm great, man. I'm one of uh, the highest level. Being machine as you can get, and I've been doing it for so long, I refuse to give it up because follow my dad's footsteps. This is my dad. I just, well, my dad boxed growing up. That's how I follow. I'll continue to follow my dad's footsteps and what he got. I feel it's like I'm just following his legacy. I would never give it up, and I'll continue to fight. Working and fighting kind of makes me a hungrier fighter. And that's why I would never give it up, man. I'm very thankful to have the hunting family support me. They're the reason I came back to fight. They gave me the opportunity to come back. So I would never let them down. I'm very thankful to work for them and be able to provide for my family. They've always been, because you and I have been talking since before you got signed to the UFC, and we've talked about like how supportive this company has been towards you. They put on pep rallies before your fights, and they throw parties for you. Like, what was it like going back to work today? Did they uh, big party for you? Big luncheon? Uh, yeah, I had Shipley Donuts waiting for me at my desk. <laughs> it was amazing. 
And she, <laughs> it was awesome. And they were all excited. You're like, man, you're like, you know, to see a knockout like that on national TV, it's amazing. Usually it's at the small local shows, but seeing a knockout like that was amazing. They're all excited for me. And I'm still getting the phone calls from the big bosses too. Nice. So, uh, so what's next for you, man? I mean, you're back at work now, home with the family, going to smell the rose a little bit. When do you, perfect world, when do you want to get back in there? Like any, any matchups in particular that, that you're looking at that makes sense to you? Oh uh, man, I'll leave that to Jason house, you know, uh, uh, hire Jason for a reason. He's the best in the game. So we're looking at May or June, you know, uh, that's what I really want. I want to focus on getting a little bit better. So I need to get, stay in the gym and stay ready and still develop. I still got a lot, of, a lot of holes in my game I need to fix. So I need to start showing my kicks. I need to start showing my wrestling in the next fight. So we'll see what plays out. But like I said, May or June, I'd like to get back in there. Last thing before we let you go, for uh, I, I know you've talked a little bit on social media about people who have sort of jumped off the bandwagon, doubting you, talking trash, you know, people ready to cash you off like after the first couple of fights like you the, the you go up a weight class you fight chase sherman the jordan wright fight ended unfortunate in an unfortunate way it's kind of out of your control what do you want to say to those folks now that you have this first win under your belt you're on sports center you have this great moment like what do you want to say to those people now man like i said uh you see the interview they said i'll never make it look at me now look what i did now I tell them, tweet about that. Tweet about my blue-collar mentality. I'm a, uh, I just had the greatest knockout Wednesday night, and the blue-collar mentality of me, I come back, and I show up to work and work my shift. There's no there's no cheating in the game. I had no shortcuts to the UFC. I, hard work. And that's all I know is hard work. So all, all those doubters, you know, tweet about me now. What can you say? The negativity, all that you they said before. I, no, I read all the tweets. Tweet about that. And uh, bloody elbow. They talked bad about me. And the other day, they uh, they didn't they didn't want to spend no time talking about my fight. So it's like I got the knockout. They sure there they go tagging away. I with the vicious knockout. Man, save it, save it. You're gonna down talk me. Like I said, I don't need no new new fans. I I, I love the loyal fans who stuck by me. When I was down, they stayed by me, man. So I'm thankful to have y'all and everybody in my corner, man. Who's, hey, tweet about my story now, man. I'm excited, man. It's just another chapter. But like I said, it's that blue-collar mentality I keep. You're like the Jerry Seinfeld of MMA. You don't need any any more friends, any more fans. You're good. You're good. <laughs> yeah, man. The new ones that want to come on, come on. But like I said, man, stay by, stay by me, man. There you go. Listen, man, I, I'm, I'm super happy for you. Like I said, and people know by now, you and I, we've been doing this for a little while now since the Fury FC days. Now we're in the UFC getting wins. Very happy for you. Great story. And you made it back to work. You're a man of your word as always. So I appreciate the time. Congratulations on the win. And uh, looking forward to seeing you hopefully in May or June, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. Appreciate your time. Thank you, bud. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.